Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Good morning, I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor at Compass Church, and today we're talking about what is the real deal. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the sacrifice, to be the replacement, to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We have a problem. We got a real problem. Because it says, let us love one another. And why is that? Because love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And just so there's no confusion, it's then argued in the negative, anyone who does not love does not know God. If you don't love people, you do not know God. And this is really hard because if you don't love people, no matter how many Bible verses you know, it doesn't matter. Your opinion on issues of controversy that Christians love to argue about, you know, like, did God choose me or did I choose God? And when is Jesus coming back? Whatever you think about those things absolutely does not matter according to this passage if you do not love people. If you do not love, you do not know God. So we have to ask the question, what are we talking about when we say love anyway, right? Because the culture says love is all you need. And so we're just going to sit here and talk about how to be more loving. And usually when love is talked about in the culture, it really relates to fully accepting the behaviors and lifestyle of others. So it's kind of like live and let live. That's what it means to love. So don't tell anyone that they are wrong. Don't challenge anyone's way of life. Whatever they want to do, just let them do it if they feel like it's right because when you let them do it, that's a loving thing. This is what the culture brands as love. Now, how do we know this? 
Well, because if you disagree with anyone's opinions or a point of view, or if you disagree with the way they live their life, what are you called? A hater, right? You're a hater, right? You think what I'm doing is a bad idea? Therefore, you hate me. You think what I'm doing in my life is destructive? Therefore, you hate me. And that is a word used to be able to dismiss any type of contrary opinion. It's a dismissal. You hate me. So therefore, if you accept me, you love me. So that's one of the challenges we have in defining what do we mean when we say love, because that's how the culture interprets love. The other problem that we have with love is that it's used in so many different contexts. I can say I love my wife. In the same breath, say I love the sweet potato fries at the Habit. They're good. And then I can say I love Van Halen. And I do. In fact, the other day I was with my 11-year-old daughter and we were listening to the OU812 album from 1988. Do you remember it? Yes, and they have a song on there, How Do I Know When It's Love? And the great sage Sammy Hagar, full of wisdom. (laughs) How do you know when it's love? I can't tell you, but it lasts forever. And then they ask, how does it feel when it's love? It's just something you feel together. And then to really drive the point home, the last half of the song just goes, na, 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 yeah, right? And you know, that's pretty profound, actually, because I don't really know what love is, so it's just something you feel, right? Because how do you know? It's a squishy word. So what is it exactly? So we can get a little bit of insight from our passage because the word love that's written in the original language that the Bible was written in, or at least this book in the New Testament, the original Greek language, is the word agapao. And, and it involves, it's a complex word, but it involves several aspects of love that are maybe different than what you'd normally think. And so I, I put them on the screen. First, it involves having an interest in and high regard for the well-being of people in general just like your fellow man, like actually taking a, having a high regard and esteem for, and taking an interest in their well-being. But secondly, and even maybe more specifically, it is a conscious choice, without condition, I should add, it's a conscious choice to pursue the good for another not the wants, not the desires, not their demands. No, 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 no. Actually pursue the good, usually at one's own personal expense. Meaning when you choose to seek the good in another person, it often comes at some sort of cost to you. It will require some type of sacrifice. So what does this actually look like? Well, thankfully for us, we have a picture, we have a pattern, we have an example, and we also have a source from which to draw from because in verse 10, it says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but see, I have always loved God. No, you haven't. Your actions betray that. You have not loved God. No, 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 it's the other way around. God loved you when you did not love him. God loved you when you were far from him, which means he took an interest in you. He was concerned about your well-being. 
He made a conscious choice to pursue your good. And how did he do that? He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, to be the one that takes your sin upon his shoulders so you don't have to walk around wallowing in guilt and shame and be tethered to your past and always live in the shadows of that, but you can be set free. You can be given this great mulligan. You know, you can be given this great second chance. You can have a do-over in life, and you can have many do-overs in life because your sins are forgiven, and you don't take that lightly, but you are free from it. And, but here's the thing about it. In order for that to happen, it came at great personal cost for God himself. He did not what we wanted him to do, but what we needed him to do. And he was the only one who could do it. And so he loved us, not just by having warm feelings for us, but seeking our good at great personal cost to himself. And without that, we would be lost. And so John says this is his love, and this is the pattern that he gives us, and this is the source in which we draw from, and this is our mandate, this is our pattern, and this is really the essence of who, how and why we still live on this planet, to reflect that somehow. Now, this is really important because it was not done on a whim. It wasn't a random act of kindness or a senseless act of beauty. As the bumper sticker when I was growing up all the time used to say as a leftover relic from the 1960s, you know, this cloud of smoke in a Volkswagen van, you know, driving around. I remember, and these kind of wonderful little stickers all over the place. It, it's, it's, that's all it is, right? Love is just this random and senseless thing. Now, this is really important because whenever we talk about loving people, quite frankly, I don't know about you, but I always get a little frustrated because basically what you're, you're, you're sitting here going, okay, here's another sermon on love, and you're, you're getting ready for it, right? Because basically what's going to happen is you're going to hear another appeal to basically live this unstructured, emotionally driven, randomly oriented life, right? Where you kind of surrender your own pursuits and aims and ambitions. You surrender your convictions about certain things just so you can kind of play nice with people. Just so you can do stuff that feels good and makes other people feel good, whether or not it's really effective. And so you begin to kind of get frustrated because you're like, yeah, but that's not, that's not how I want to live you know, and, and, and I want to I care about people, but, but I feel all this love stuff just means I have to get into this world where I'm just kind of making myself available to anyone and everyone who asks me in this really random, non-strategic kind of way. And it frustrates a lot of people. Some people may really love living life that way, but a lot of us don't. And so we hear a message like this, and I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm going to be beat over the head for not being loving enough and just kind of letting go. But I want to encourage those of you who think that way today because actually I think it's the exact opposite. Nothing could be further from the truth. The most hardcore kind of love is actually quite intentional and extremely specific and, and requires a very high level amount of reflection and discipline in your life. Because it comes from a deep reflection on who God is and what he has done and then who I am and then therefore what I should do and what he has uniquely called me to do, right? So how do I do this? Because the title of the sermon is, How Do I Love Others Even Those I Don't Like? As God Has Loved Me, basically. I, how do I actually do that in a way that's going to be effective? I'm going to give you two things today. Number one, the first thing I have to do in light of what God has done for me, I have to, it starts with like a change of, of mindset that I would say is this, I must willfully abandon my contempt for human beings in general. You know how it is, right? I'm surrounded by idiots. 
clowns to the left, jokers to the right, stuck in the middle with you, right? That's the whole idea. Oh, just morons everywhere. It's that heart that we, that we kind of joke about, but under the surface is very alive and well. And right now it's safe to say that our country is deeply divided. As we speak right now, half of the country hears Yanny. <laughs> and the other half hears Laurel. And the Yanny people are like, what's wrong with you Laurel people? It's not what it says. You're ruining the country. I can't believe I have to share. Like, like, how can you see something so different, right? You know what I mean? And, so, and the Laurel people feel the same way. It's like, how do you? There's, there's like differences, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, huh, on your own time, you need to Google. <laughs> on your own time. And, and, and you Google Yanni, and then this Yanni will come up, actually. It's not him. He's like the old singer with the mustache and the long hair and sings funky music. That's Yanni. I'm talking about Yanni, okay? Um, so Yanni, and then, and then Laurel, and you can listen to it, and, it's a very, and then you'll stay culturally relevant um, somewhat. So at least you're doing your best. So just think about that. In any case, so what happens is, is... Um, the, we, we have this, even though that's one aspect, we also have this thing where we are really kind of deeply divided as a culture, and now it's not you're just wrong, you are evil, and you are ruining the country, and so therefore if you're ruining the country, you're ruining the world, or ruining even my space, I have the right to come at you with everything that I have, and I can attack your, your very existence, your very dignity as a human being. And if you don't believe me that this is just commonplace now, just look at any uh, comment thread in any kind of online article, or just go on any kind of type of social media, and it doesn't take very long for the people to throw these grenades behind their little safe wall walls of their home and, and anonymity, but what is it revealing? It reveals a heart that has contempt for the people around them. If I don't agree with you, if I don't like you, if you don't fit my mold, I don't just think that you're wrong. I actually hate the fact that you even exist. And I'm telling you something, if this is you and you claim to be a Christian, something is seriously wrong in your life. Because the scripture says very clearly, if you do not love if you do not hold in high regard the dignity of a human being that may be placed in your midst, you do not know God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't disagree, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront, and I'm not saying that we don't have the right to speak our minds, because we do. But when it involves and devolves into attacking the dignity of the other human being, we have crossed the line because we have stepped into God's territory and now we are attacking him because we have been made in his image. Even the person you don't like has been made in his image. And if you struggle with that because you're like, yeah, but you got an issue, man. Because there is a way, there is a way to separate the things the person has done and the views the person has and the wrong the person is committing from the essence of the individual itself. And there is a way to separate and say, wait a second, I believe that's wrong. I believe that there's these X, Y, Z consequences. But the sad thing is, is this is a person that was made to live and, and, and know the glory of God and how far they've strayed. And that should, that should actually bother you in your soul. And if you just absolutely don't care, it says more about you than it does about them. But it's not just an attitude, it's actions. It's actions. I'm not one to, uh, I'll just be honest with you, I'm not one to 
give out kind of random money to like the dudes hanging out on the freeway exits over here. I just don't do that. Um, part of the reason I don't do that, um, it's just A, because it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like I usually don't have any cash to be honest with you. But secondly, I have kind of have a conviction that when I do that, I'm kind of perpetuating a, an unsustainable kind of system for these guys. Like a lot of these guys, I go, dude, you should be like working or there's other services or whatever else. And if I do that, I'm just making this work for you, which is ultimately not a good thing for you. So this is kind of how I am. You know, there's other people can think differently about it. We have a guy at our church, Jim Fisher. He's been on our elder board. He keeps a stack of McDonald's gift cards that he will hand out to, to these guys. And in that sense, he is a way better man than I am. Um, if you are someone in need, he drives a gray Jeep Rubicon. <laughs> nice looking gentleman. Um, and I'm sure he'd be happy to, to chuck one to you. Anyway, uh, but in any case, so I'm just telling you, like, I, like, that's where I come from on a lot of these things. Right? I just don't really, I don't really, like, lean that direction. And so you can judge me all you want, but that's just kind of how I feel. That being said, a few weeks ago in the morning, um, I was going into Panera over here on McDowell, and, and this little gal walks up to me as I was walking. It's just this little young gal, and, and, and she, she uh, I could tell just from the minute that I looked at her that we had lived two very different lives. I'd lived in very different universes, and she walks up to me, and she says, excuse me, and she's this little frail girl, and she's a little squeaker voice, and she says, excuse me, she says, I missed my bus, and I'm trying to start a new job, and I, I haven't been paid yet, and, and I'm just hungry. And I was wondering if you could buy me something to eat. And when I looked at her, and I looked at her, and I said, in my, my mind, I went, okay, this is someone who has had obviously some difficult issues in her life. Clinical psychologist named Jordan Peterson pointed out that um, the kind of hard, cold facts are that about 10% of the population has an IQ that in an ever-increasingly sophisticated society basically almost makes them unemployable. And so when I looked at her and she said she was starting a new job, I mean, honestly, it's one of those where I'm thinking, like, I, I don't know what you could do. I mean, I don't mean to be mean, but I just I was thinking, like, she was so, her demeanor, her countenance, and everything was just so frail and broken, and she was just kind of such a, and, and I looked at her, and the reality is this. There was something obviously not quite right, and it was like God was, God was saying to me at that moment, Jacobs, I get your issues about not giving money to dudes on the freeway, but if you turn this girl away, you do not know me. It was like right in my head at that moment. Because it was almost like God going, you know what, Jacobs, I have rescued you from hell. I have sent my innocent son to trade places with you on the cross when you were in a situation, spiritually speaking, far more in poverty than she will ever be, that you are far more worse off from a spiritual and eternal sense than she ever will be. And I stepped in when you were at your worst and traded places with you and took my, put place your sin on my son so that you could walk free, okay? So here's the deal. You better take this woman in there and buy her a bacon and egg and cheese bagel sandwich right now or I am going to kick your butt. That's like, this is how God and I communicate, right? It's like Psalm 23. He leaves me beside still waters. Like, no, nah, that doesn't know God did. God has to hit me with a two by four. And I'm like, but I knew in that moment, it's like, wait a second. 
And you know, it's not all the time, right? But and it's, I mean, this isn't a sermon about helping homeless people. That's not the point, or helping downtrodden people per se. But it has to do with when you encounter people that you could in that instant have contempt for and go, yeah, it's your problem. It's not my problem. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, you should have thought of this. You should have thought of that. You better be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, because you are dealing with people who have been made in God's very image that he sent his own son to die for at much greater cost than you will ever know. And for you to turn aside and walk away from someone in a point of need, a point of legitimate need, and the Holy Spirit's whispering in your ear, and you show contempt for that person, I'm telling you what, like I said, it just says a heck of a lot more about you. So I said, come on. Get whatever you want. Get whatever you want. Because at this point, it ain't about my box. But see, it has to come from a well of God's love, you know? Because you can't give what you don't have. So you have to see the overflow of God's love. And so when these kinds of things happen that are spirit-led, they're not random. They're actually um, you know, they, they, they may be um, unplanned, but they're not random and they're not unintentional and they're not whimsical. They come from a very well-reasoned and very well-thought-out and very logical, rooted understanding of where I fit in the world in relationship to God and his people. But that's really what it's about when we talk about love. I'm reading a book right now called The Servant by a guy named James Hunter. I can't believe I didn't read this book like 20 years ago when it came out because it's just, it's, it's blowing my mind because it's so simple and so profound in so many ways. I found the book because you know I'm in the Air Force and, and one of the things that um, I've had the opportunity to do is, is take some leadership development um, um, courses and whatnot in the Air Force, and I can tell you that the highest levels of Air Force leadership development, they are asking their top commanders to read this book. It is a deeply Christian book, by the way, and it's a leadership book. It's about effective leadership, and the people that run the, the leadership center for the Air Force say, this is the book that you need to read if you're going to be an effective leader at, at the highest levels in the Air Force. Kind of crazy, right? But the whole idea is, the basic premise is that if you want to lead, you cannot lead from a position of power. You can't say, I'm the boss. That doesn't work. It works for a short period of time, but then it breaks down because people don't want to work for people because they have to. They want to work for people because they want to. You don't want employees that are going to go, uh, you know, I guess I have to do this, so I guess I will. No, you want employees that will run through a wall for you. You want employees that will risk their life for you. You want employees that will work three hours extra for you because out of, the, out of their, their soul, they, they see that you care about them and everything else. So say, well, what does it take? How do you as a leader develop people who can be maximized in terms of their potential and their sense of happiness and their sense of joy and their sense of passion for what they do? And the number one answer of all of the leadership material that's out there, that's there that says, if you're a leader, the number one thing you have to do is you have to love the people who work for you. You have to love the people 
who are getting things done for you that are below you on the org chart, if you think you can lead them because you're in this position of power, it will not work. It never works because it violates the very foundations of human nature. And so, and the reason I bring this up is because this is serious stuff. Because the fact of the matter is, you may not be in a leadership position at work, but even if you're supervising anybody, whether you're at a fast food joint, or you own your own business, or you're in the military, or whatever it is, but even, or you're in your own family, the point is that there's people out there that you have the opportunity to show God's love to, and when you do, you lead them. And the best way to lead them is by loving them. So what does it mean? If I'm going to love people, even when I don't like them the way God has loved me, I must, this is the second thing, and this is big, this is really big. I must reorder my life towards seeking the good for those whom God has placed around me. And my friends, that turns all of life inside out. It just, it just turns all of life completely inside out, flips it on its head, because the critical question that you ask when it comes to actually executing this verse cor- correctly or this passage and actually um, applying this to your life is this. What do the people who are around me now really need that only I can give them? I promise you, if you sat down and you shut off your phone and Netflix and whatever else, and you sat down with a blank sheet of paper, just you and a blank sheet of paper and a pen for a half an hour, sometime between now and the day you die, and you spend a half an hour asking yourself the question, what do the people who are around me right now need the most that only I can give them? That might very well revolutionize your entire life. Because we aren't talking about people's wants. I don't care what you want. I don't care what your desire is. I don't care what your demand is. No, 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 that's not, that's not. Just simply fulfilling someone's wants or desires, you become their slave. That's not what this is about at all. It's actually asking the question, what do the people around me need that only I can give them? And then I begin to order my life that way. And I guarantee you that if you do that, it will involve some type of surrender, some type of sacrifice, some type of decision where you'll have to see the cost involved. And the question is, are you willing to do that? Because here's, like I said before, we're not, you can't do this with everybody. See, everybody wants to, I'm gonna go change the world. No, like when people say, I'm gonna change the world, I just, I just, I don't even pay attention to people like that anymore. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Don't change the world. Start by taking the people that you have now in your life and truly figuring out how to love them. And then maybe we'll talk about the second rung out from that and then the rung out from that and the rung out from that. And then maybe, maybe you can start talking about larger regional impact. Changing the world, what is that? No one knows how to do that. You begin to look at the people that God has placed in your life now. Not the people you wish were there, not the people that someone else has in their life, not the people that used to be there, but the people in your life now. So how does this work? Well, you know, fathers, you may say, hey, listen, my family needs me to provide for them, and they do. 
And those of you dads out there, and I mean moms as well, but speaking specifically to fathers for a moment, when you're taking responsibility for your family and saying, ultimately, while we both might work, the, the, uh, the job of making sure there's food on the table belongs, really, the weight of that rests on me. And that's, a, when, you, when you do that and you own that, that's a wonderful thing. And we want to challenge all of you guys to, you're going to have kids, you better learn how to provide for them. You're going to have a wife, you better learn how to provide for her. And she can help out, and certainly, but that job falls on you, right? So here's the thing. They, they, they need you to provide for them, but the challenge is this. They also need you around, too. They need you to work, but they need your availability. And so the, so the challenge for a lot of guys is like, I'm paying the bills, I'm providing security, and that's good, but that's got to be balanced against my availability and who I am as a father and looking out for my kids. What are they watching? Who are they hanging out with? What are they saying? What are their, what's their trajectory? What do they know about God? And you can't delegate that. You have to be present, right? And that's really hard because there's like a tension there. Because wait a second, like we have like family wants and dreams and everything else. And the reality is they need a roof over their heads. They need money in the bank for clothes and, you know, uniforms for sports and registrations and whatever else, and a little bit in savings for contingencies in case stuff goes wrong because it always does. But maybe they don't need a 30-foot sailboat. In a 5,000 square foot house and an Escalade parked in the driveway. Well, it's a really safe car, you know? It's like, okay, and, and if you can't afford those things, right? And what happens is we go, well, I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for the family. Uh, really? Are you doing it for them? Do, do they really need that? Or is that just kind of you projecting all these things that they need? Now, why do I say this? Because for some of us, maybe that decision comes from the fact of, you, you know, you're, you're couching all this, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, but where, where have you been? Like, do your kids know you? And so it's like a nuanced thing, right? It's like it's not easy because on the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside, you know, wait a second, I'm working hard, but I still got to be there, right? I still have to show up, which might mean I have to say no to things, but wait a second, there's my career, there's advancement, there's all this stuff, right? Right? Paul Ryan, um, the Speaker of the House, has been talking a lot about how he's going to back off from, from politics. And the biggest reason why he said is because he said, I, I need to be there for my kids in their high school years. I mean, can you imagine that? One of the most powerful positions. I mean, right in the lineup for, for, the, for the presidency, right? And all the relatively young guy and all of this notoriety and in the game and everything else and using his gifts. And no, I'm going to pull out because my kids need me. You ever, what do you call that? What do you call that if it's actually not love? If it's not a decision made out of love, right? Like, I'm actually going to love the people that God has placed around me, which means I seek what is best for them, even if it costs me. I recognize it's not always easy, and I'm not, I mean, obviously, like I said, you know, there's military families, and they got to be gone. I'm not, I mean, you know, within context, understand what I'm saying. There's, there's choices we have to make, and it's really hard because you can get by kind of like doing what's okay, but what's actually seeking the good, and that is, that does require reflection. That does require thought. Again, so let's say you're a young person just kind of starting out, right, and you got a roommate, and you're splitting the rent. You know how that goes. And, and so you kind of like got this roommate and you're kind of starting things out and, and, and all of a sudden it doesn't take very long before you realize that this roommate that you've got is living a life that's not sustainable. They can't hold down a job and so they're late on their share of the rent. And you know, and then it's kind of part of the whole package where they're 
They're leaving the house messy and the parking in your spot and the you know, little uh, burger you brought home from Red Robin in the fridge is mysteriously missing, you know, and it wasn't me. <laughs> well, who was it, right? You know, you just, there's people like that, right? So you got one of these kind of people. You know the kind of person I'm talking about. And if you've never encountered a person like that, that means it's probably you. <laughs> You're that guy. You're that girl. Just know it. Accept it. But in any case, nine times out of ten, you hear a message like this, and you start applying it to your situation, and you come to the conclusion that the loving thing to do is to, well, I'll just cover their rent, and I'll just let them park in my spot and eat my food, and I don't want to make waves. Maybe the Christian thing to do is just to sit there and pray for them and just hope that it gets better. And also, some cases, that's quite frankly the easier thing for you to do, especially if you're a non-confrontational person. Because then you kind of justify your non-confrontationalness with spirituality. And you go, well, I'm just going to be a, a nice, good Christian, and I'm not going to confront them. And then you feel better about the fact that you lack the courage to confront. But the problem with that is it's not helpful. It's not loving based on our definition. Because what you got to do and if you're in a situation like that is you got to say, look, I got a problem. I got, I got a bad roommate. It happens. But God put them there in my life. I don't know why, but they're there in my life. And even though this person is a real pain in the butt, the reality is they have tremendous value to God. Their life matters. They will either spend eternity with God or without God. And so their life in total matters even beyond this, this irresponsibility that they're displaying now. So the question is, what is good for this person? Maybe they are going through like a bad breakup or, you know, maybe they're just like, their family member passed away and they're just in a, they're in a funk and maybe you can extend, maybe there's some room for grace there, but chances are with people like this, it's always one thing after the other after the other. And so what do you have to do? What you need to do is you need to sit down and you need to say, hey, listen, I care about you, but here are the problems. And this isn't the way that life works. And if I continue to just let you do this and do that, you, you're never going to learn anything because this, this isn't how the world works, man. You won't always encounter people that have the grace that I do. And besides that, you're not living up to the, your end of the bargain, and that's just not right for either one of us. And so this is when it needs to change. If it doesn't change, then, then we end this agreement and whatever else, and you're out of here. I don't know what to tell you. And they're going to say, oh, but you're so mean. You're so awful. Fine. Welcome to the club. And here's this is the whole funny thing because, you know, the thing is, why is that loving? Well, first of all, it's the truth. And the truth sets you free. And I don't know what it is that we're so afraid of truth. You know, I look back on my life. I was saying this to someone recently. I said, you know, when I look back on my life when I was younger, you know what I wish more than anything else? Because I was kind of like a, you know, I was like a high energy guy. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And like, I speak all this passion and conviction. And yeah. And it's like, when, you, when you're like that, the world kind of just kind of gets out of the way and goes, okay, let's see how this works, right? Have fun with that. And I said, I wish there would have been people along the line would have grabbed me and said, Jacob's, you know, figure this out. You told me the truth a little bit more. Like, dude, you're, you're, you need, you need, if you don't act, look at X, Y, and Z, you're going to make a bad mistake here. You're going to go off course. You're not thinking this through correctly. But instead, I think a lot of people just said, ah, I'm not going to mess with that guy. Nah, just let him, you know, he's not going to listen to anybody. And they didn't take the time. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying that if I had anything else, I wish there had been people in my life who were people I looked up to that could have grabbed me a little bit more and said, dude, think about this. You know, and we don't tell each other the truth. And we think that's loving. That's not loving. Let the, the people that have the live and let live, they're the ones that don't tell the truth. 
And they, they, th- they say it's loving. It's not loving. Well, I don't care what that person does. With I don't care what that person does with their life because I just love them. That's not love. Don't say you love someone and then you say you don't care how they live their life. That's dishonest. It's hypocritical. And it's cowardly. The other problem is if you don't confront people in your life that, that God has placed in you when there's, a, when there's a real legitimate issue, you think you're being loving, but the truth of the matter is you can't contain yourself, so you end up expressing it somewhere else. So you're nice to them in public, like, oh, or in private, like, hey, you know, no big deal. And you go over here and you go hanging out, and people, no, I hate my roommate, and I hate this, and then you go on social media. Some people don't know how to be responsible. <laughs> and everybody knows who you're talking about. How is that love? It's cowardice. And yeah, they're going to say, well, you don't care, and we don't understand. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. You don't think that, that every single day there's millions upon millions upon millions of people that look at the, the imagery of the cross and just go, that's dumb. God's been rejected by more people than you ever will for what he did out of love. And here's the thing. This kind of thing happens all the time. It doesn't have to be a roommate situation. It could be an employee or a child or a relative in your life. It doesn't have to do with feelings either. It has to do with an understanding of God's love for me. And I'm telling you, like, you could apply this a hundred different ways, but you have to go back to that central question. And guys, I really think, like, this is probably one of the most universally applicable messages I think I've ever preached, ever. And I think this is one of the most serious things that we have to take. Because here's the thing. If we are truly if we are actually loving the people around us, it doesn't mean random acts of kindness. It doesn't mean handing out money to strangers and thinking that's it. No, it's looking at your spouse. It's looking at your kids. It's looking at your neighbors. It's looking at the people that God has placed in your life and actually said, what does it look like to surrender some of my, I could do this, but I won't because it's not good for this person. And I'll tell you, for some of you, the most loving thing you could do to the people in your life is get off the alcohol alcohol, man. Well, it's my right. Okay, fine. But you're not a loving person. You actually suck pretty bad because everyone has to take care of you. That's not very loving. Some of you need to get off smoking pot. Well, what's wrong with the good weed? God made every seed-bearing plant for us to enjoy. Um, <laughs> because you do, when you're doing this, you can't love anybody because everyone else has to take care of you and clean up after you and buy you Doritos and stuff like that. <laughs> That's not loving. That's not loving. That's selfish. Paying off your debt before you go into the marriage is a very loving thing. Well, you know, she accepts me for how I am. Well, that's sad for her then because you should make yourself a little bit more. You say, so this is all about responsibilities and nothing about rights. And wow, that's a complete 180 from the where the culture is now. But see, we become people that do this, and all of a sudden, here's what happens. Here's what happens. You say, well, Tim, what about the feelings? What about the feelings? You're just all about your thing. It's not about feelings. No, no, no. When I make the choice, the feelings follow. And that's the part. When I make the choice, Opportunity cost, man. I could do all these things. I'm focusing on these, this person right here and seeking their good. The feelings follow. I don't know why that is. You know, I don't know why love always requires sacrifice, but it's the clearest thing we've ever seen in Scripture. 
And I know this, God is not above it himself. So my challenge to you is simply do what he did. Get the people who are closest to you and ask, what does it look like for me to seek the good in them? I've spent too much time talking. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you need to receive God's love, if you need to turn from sin, you can do that right now. It really starts by accepting his love for you. In your heart, just praying a simple prayer, saying, God, you love me and have loved me even when I did not love you. But you have shown me love. There is no God like you. There isn't you and a bunch of other deities out there. It's only you. And so I place my life into your hands. And if you've shown me this kind of love, that you'd forgive me for my sins, that you would step in and die on the cross for me, then I give you my life. As we sang earlier, I relent. You can have it all. This life is not my own. You give life that is worth the loss of mine. And so I give my life to you. And I thank you for saving me. For the rest of us, my challenge to you is, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you who are already Christians here, you need to drop the contempt for humanity. You need to drop it. And you need to seek the good in others and see how that revolutionizes your life. God, we thank you for the fact that you've given us to each other for one purpose, so that we could demonstrate your love. As hard as that is sometimes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.